0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Tuesday, September the 26th, 2023. It is currently 10.20 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now I want to jump right into our discussion about law and gospel and this letter written by Luther that we're going to hear a little bit about and and I I that's what I want to do and and I I have a specific way I wanted to start this but we have a little bit of breaking news that we have to discuss about the podcast in general. In fact, at 9:28 a.m. this morning, a listener emailed me and they informed me of this very important fact. Google, the Google podcasting app is going to be shutting down in 2024. If you listen to us on the Google podcast app, that app will be going away in 2024. So, and we're fast approaching 2024. In fact, the, uh, the, I'm going to click on the actual article they sent me. It says Google podcast to shut down in 2024 with listeners migrated to YouTube music. Uh, Google announced this morning that it will be shutting down its Google podcast app later in 2024 as part of its broader transition to move its streaming listeners over to U- YouTube music. So, I, I, I don't know how that's going to work for some of you. Some of you may not want to use YouTube music, right? I mean, I use all the music streaming services, but YouTube music, I don't use that frequently. Every once in a while, I'll get a subscription and then I'll get rid of it. But it, I, I use Apple Music as my primary one. I use others at different times, but, um, that I, it's, 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 I don't know what's going to happen. So if you're using the Google Podcasting app, you're, you're probably going to have to, um, you, you're, you're going to have to find a new podcasting app. You're going to have to find a new podcasting app, probably to listen to us, unless you already have YouTube music. And then I've got to figure out how to get our podcast. Uh, the, the initial way of trying to get our podcast on YouTube music was a little, uh, A little convoluted at at first, at least the instructions were. So I'm going to have to go back and look at that and see if we can, can, can accomplish that in a, in a workable way. But main thing, if you're using the Google podcast app, it's time to find another podcasting app. It's in time to find another one. Now, the good thing is our content is currently available on every podcasting app on earth youtube music is not necessarily a podcasting app they're trying to move now making podcasts more available but it's very convoluted the way you have to do so i'm hoping that now it's going to be much easier and they're just going to pull from the the basically the the rss feed library that they're usually pulling from you know the the podcasting directory they're pulling come uh, pulling from for google podcasts Hopefully, they'll just move all of those podcasts just directly over to YouTube Music, and it'll be basically taking the directory from Google uh, podcasting app and just moving it over to YouTube Music, and then it, it should be simple, and the transition should be seamless for a podcaster. I'm hoping that we'll get more information, but if you're using the Google Podcast app, it's probably time to go ahead and start looking for a new one. And if you can't find us on the new one, let us know. You can always email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, we're we're on all the podcasting apps. But again, you can, I I would just challenge you, download the Sermons 2.0 app, Sermons 2.0 app, look for Theology Central and hit follow, all right? But you won't get any notifications on the Sermons 2.0 app. I don't know why. They still have not allowed notifications on that app. I hope they get that resolved uh, at some point. So you could download the Church One app. That's Church O-N-E, Church O-N-E. Once you download the Church One app, then do a search for Theology Central. Then that basically becomes our app. And then all of our content's broken down into series. That may be the, easier, the easiest way to drive people there. The only negative part is when I drive people to the Church One app that takes away our podcasting numbers on all of the podcasting you know charts and, and analytics that that really hurts us in that way but ultimately what matters is that you as the listener have direct access to the content more so than how it impacts our numbers and i i know that that's yeah we could get into all of the behind the scenes you know details on how all of that works but hey that that's the situation So if you're listening to us on the Google Podcast app, it's time to find a new app. And I would start working on that now because you can move all of your podcasts. The earlier, the better. You can move all of your podcasts over. You can subscribe to everything. You can get used to how the new one works way before the Google Podcast app is no longer. I use the Google Podcast app. I have it right here on my iPad. Uh, The notification system is great for the Google Podcast app. Things uh show up, I mean, super quick. I mean, when I'm done broadcasting, this broadcast will be on the Google Podcast app probably within five to thirty seconds after I'm done talking. It is it, it's so good, it is so fast. So, um, but it's it's going away. So, uh, at the Apple Podcasting app. If you uh, typically people using the Google Podcasting app don't have an Apple device. So most of this is going to be for you. Um, I'm assuming Android users for the, uh, for the most part, but uh, there's plenty of podcasting apps for the, uh, for an Android. So please look for them, find them. And, uh, if you need any assistance, email me newsif at com. All right. Now let's set all of that aside. All right. Now let me ask you an important question this morning. Are you in the knee? Are you in need this morning of law or gospel? Which do you need this morning? Do you need to hear the the demands of the law? And the threats of the law and the possible condemna- condemnation that comes under the law of God. Do you need to hear the law of God or do you realize how sinful you are, how weak you are, how flawed you are, and you need to hear the gospel? We've been talking uh, in this ongoing discussion about the proper distinction between law and gospel. We've been talking about thesis number eight from CFW Walther. We're using the book God's No and God's Yes, the proper distinction between law and gospel where he has 25 theses, right? And number eight reads like this. In the fourth place, the word of God is not rightly divided when the law is preached to those who are already in terror on account of their sins or the gospel to those who live securely in their sins. If someone is already in terror on account of their sins, They are already in terror. They're broken. They're humiliated. They're filled with shame. They're filled with guilt. They know that what they're doing is wrong. They don't need more law. They don't need more condemnation. They don't need a bunch of rules and do this and do that. They just need to hear the beautiful words of the gospel that Christ died for sinners and that his blood is sufficient to wash away all of your sin and his grace is greater than your sin. They just need to hear the good news. They don't need to hear the law. And sometimes we mess this up. But if someone is living in sin securely with no guilt, no shame, then they need to be reminded of the law. Which do you need? Which, and, and are you, are you, are, how, you know, we talked about this in the last broadcast. How, are you, how well do you do at, Giving yourself law when you truly need law and giving yourself gospel when you truly need gospel, I think sometimes we 're really bad at at doing this with our for ourselves. sometimes I think sometimes we are overridden with guilt and shame, and we just try to give ourselves more law and more guilt and and we don 't give ourselves the gospel and I think sometimes we we, we we need to give ourselves the gospel, but then there's other times we probably need the law. And then sometimes we're not very good at doing this for other people as well. So we've been talking about this, but late last night, we ended the broadcast on a cliffhanger, right? Do you remember that? They were about to introduce a letter that Martin Luther, the reformer, right? 1500s, right? The great reformer, right? He wrote a letter to a gentleman who had, I guess had been involved in some serious sin, some really bad sin, and seemed to be broken over it. And Luther writes this letter really showing you that that he realized that this man does not need to hear the law. He doesn't need condemnation and rule. He just needs to hear the gospel. So C.F.W. Walther, giving this lecture right before the students went on their Christmas break, he wants them to take this letter. He wants them to use this letter in their ministry so that they know when to offer the gospel to people who are broken. So they were about to introduce the letter. I don't know if they're going to read it all. What we are going to do is I'm going to look and try to get a copy of the the letter. And if I can, I'll post it at theologycentral.net. I should have done that yesterday, but we'll possibly do that. But listen, I don't know how much of the letter they're going to read. It's relatively long. Uh, but hopefully they at least summarize the major p- parts of it. And it is something that you may want to look up and and maybe they'll give the history here because uh, it, it, look, this idea of the proper distinction between law and gospel, at times it's very theoretical. At times it's very academic, but this is where it becomes very, very practical. And when you're dealing with yourself, do you know when to properly give yourself? I need law or I need gospel. Are you good at doing that? And when you're dealing with other people, do you know when you should be handing out law and when you should you be handing out gospel? And I think as Christians and as the church in general, we we are not always very good at getting these right. And I'm going to read the thesis again. Thesis number eight, the uh, the word of God is not rightly divided when the law is preached to those who are already in terror on account of their sins or the gospel is preached to those who live securely in their sins. But they're about to introduce the letter that Luther wrote. Remember, we're utilizing Issues ETC, a Lutheran uh, radio program slash podcast. You should subscribe to it. We're only using their little small segments between their commercial breaks. We're hoping this entire segment that they're about to do is dedicated to this letter that Luther wrote, because I think this offers a historical Aspect to this that we have not covered up to this point. So here we go. Welcome back. I'm Todd
1: Wilkin. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. He hosts the daily 15 minute verse by verse Bible study called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. It's part eight of our series on the proper distinction between law and
0: gospel. So let's get into this letter that Luther wrote to Spalatin.
1: Yeah, so they said I would like to read it in its entirety, so bear with me. I'll try to give a pause at the places where Walter himself sort of breaks off and gives comment as he works through the letter. Luther says, Grace and peace from God in Christ and the consolations of the Holy Spirit to my worthy master in Christ, George Spalatin, superintendent, that would be like bishop, of the churches of Misnia, most faithful pastor of Altenburg, my beloved in the Lord. Amen. My dearest Spallatin, I heartily sympathize with you and earnestly pray our Lord Jesus Christ to strengthen you and give you a cheerful heart. I should like to know and am making diligent inquiries to find out what your trouble may be or what has caused your breakdown. I'm told by some, that it's nothing else than depression and heaviness of heart caused by the matrimonial affair of a person who is publicly united in marriage to the stepmother of his deceased wife. If this is true, I beseech you most urgently not to become self-centered and heed the thoughts and sensations of your own heart, but to listen to me, your brother, who is speaking to you in the name of Christ. Otherwise... Your despondency will go beyond endurance and kill you. For St. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 7.10, The sorrow of the world worketh death. I've often passed through the same experience and witnessed the same in 1540 in the case of Manchester Philip, who was nearly consumed by heaviness of heart and despondency on account of the landgrave's affair. However, Christ used my tongue to raise him up again. I say this on the supposition that you have sinned and are partly to blame for the four aforementioned marriage because you approved it. So I think an important point there, and Walther stops to just make sure we don't miss it. Luther doesn't minimize the sin that Spalatin had committed. He goes on, Yea, I shall go further and say, Even if you have committed more numerous and grievous sins in this present, in other instances than Manasseh, the king of Judah, whose offenses and crimes could not be eradicated throughout his posterity down to the time when Jerusalem was destroyed, while your offense is very light because it concerns a temporal interest and can be easily remedied. Nevertheless, I repeat it. Granted, you are to blame. Are you going to worry yourself to death over it and by thus killing yourself, commit a still more horrible sin against God? So when Luther says it can be remedied, he means, look, they can be put apart. The marriage can be dissolved. It's not legitimate. So that would be far preferable to you despairing over what you've done. Despair of God's mercy, Walter says, is always the most horrible sin because it's to declare God himself to be a liar. Luther says, it is bad enough to know that you've made a mistake in the matter. Now, do not let your sin stick in your mind, but get rid of it. Quit your despondency, which is a far greater sin. Listen to the blessed consolation which the Lord offered you by the prophet Ezekiel, who says in chapter 33, verse 11, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Do you imagine that only in your case the Lord's hand is shortened? Or... Has he, in your case alone, forgotten to be gracious and shut up his tender mercies? Or are you the first man to aggravate his sins so awfully that henceforth there is no longer a high priest who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities? Do you consider it a new marvel when a person living in this life, in the flesh, with innumerable arrows of so many devils flying about him, is occasionally wounded and laid prostrate? Luther means to say, Walter adds, why are you surprised at your grievous fall? That is a common occurrence. The terrible part is only if you refuse to rise and, like miserable reprobates, crawl back to the throne of grace.
0: All right, this is a powerful a powerful letter. And you can see why Walther wanted his students to hear this letter, because he's been dealing with these very theoretical concepts. Hey, when do you give someone law? When do you give someone gospel? Well, here's someone who has committed a sin and who is broken and crushed under it. Luther does not minimize the sin, but look what he's doing. He's really telling the, look, run to the, look, you shouldn't be shocked or surprised by falling into sin because, well, that's what we do. We sin. But what you need to do now, is not allow your despondency to be crushed by this, but to run to the throne of grace, run to your high priest, trust in the mercy of God, understand that God's forgiveness is, is just as powerful for the person who just becomes a Christian as for the one who's already is a Christian. The same blood of Christ who washes away the sin of the lost person who first comes to Christ. That same blood washes away your sin and my sin. As a believer, there is complete and total forgiveness. And what we have a tendency to do, we would be like, well, hey, 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 now, now, look, your sin was really bad. And and now because of that now and we would start going with all of our list of things now that you can or can't. We we would start making a list of rules if the person is broken and acknowledges their sin We just bring them the consolation of the gospel. We bring them the good news. We tell them to cling to the cross. I know it goes against our nature. Our nature is like, wait, 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 wait. They committed a sin. Okay, now, all right, you committed a sin now. All right, buddy. Here's why, yeah, God will forgive you, but all right, but let's get past that. Now, okay, because of your sin, this, number one, number two, number three, number four, now you're gonna have to do this. You're gonna do this. And And we just start... We, we almost feel like we have to just start bringing in rules and regulations and 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 condemnation. And, and it's like, no, when we when we present the gospel to someone, it, we bring it to someone who is broken, who is hurt, and the gospel is the medicine. We don't bring our rules and we don't bring all of We, we say, in Christ, you are forgiven. Flee to the throne of grace and have your sins washed away. And rest in that. I know it goes against our I know some of you are like, ah, I don't I don't know about that, because if someone's committed a really bad sin, there's gotta be consequences. There's gotta and but you're the one who thinks you know what the consequences are. And you can try to run to the Bible to try to figure out consequences, but rarely do we ever see those play out in a meaningful way, right? Like like because because sometimes we, when we try to take one consequence that we see for someone, we don't ever really t- t- follow it all the way through. Everyone always runs to, "We'll see, look at the consequences David faced. Well, the baby died. Yes. But uh, he said, well, he didn't get to build the temple. Okay. Still got to write scripture. He still wrote scripture, right? And not only did he write scripture. Listen, he he maintained himself as a king yes oh and by the way solomon who supposedly gets to build the temple look at look at his life serial adulterer serial polygamist who became an idolater and yet still was able to write scripture So, so even your supposed consequences that you try to pull from an isolated section of scripture, that doesn't always play out. The Bible doesn't do a lot of saying, if you commit this sin, here are the 13 things that need to happen. No, it, it it will say that if you're in this situation, if you're in it, there may be consequences, but there's always seems to be the hope that God's grace is greater than our sin, that there can be complete forgiveness. We're not talking about, you know, covering up or hiding from the law or legality. We're not talking about that in any way, shape or form. Obviously that has to be dealt with, but I'm saying, I think sometimes we're not good at this long gospel thing. We're law minded people. We're law-based people. We think in terms of law. The gospel goes against everything inside of us. It goes against our nature, our way of thinking, because the gospel is like, you see that sinner who deserves guilt, shame, public humiliation, and to never be able to do anything again. The gospel says, your sins are forgiven. Go. You're free. You're, you're, there's, there's, no, there's nothing more to be done. And we don't like that. We don't like that in any way, shape, or form. But but it seems that the Bible seems to indicate that it's the gospel. It's that gospel saving us and freeing us, and not bringing in the you know condemnation and, and law and everything else. It seems that that gospel is the very thing. It's that mercy. It's that grace that should then motivate us to try to move forward, is that I think there's more motivation that comes from the mercy of God than than the law of God. The law of God only leads, well, it provokes rebellion. It only leads to despair and death. It is the gospel that truly leads to freedom. And I think a motivation to pursue righteousness to some level. But let's see where he continues with this letter.
1: Luther continues. It seems to me, my dear Spalatin, that you still have but limited experience in battling against sin and evil conscience, the law, and the terrors of death. Or Satan has removed from your vision and memory every consolation which you were well fortified and knew very well what the office and the benefits of Christ are. To be sure, The devil has now plucked from your heart all the beautiful Christian sermons concerning grace and the mercy of God in Christ, by which you used to teach, admonish, and comfort others with a cheerful spirit and a great buoyant courage. For it must surely be that heretofore you have been only a trifling sinner, conscious only of paltry and insignificant faults and frailties. So, Walter adds, there are only two ways, then, in which Luther can explain to himself why this man is refusing to be comforted. Either he's hitherto failed to perceive his real misery and wretchedness under sin, he's been aware of the fact that he is a great sinner by nature, his grievous fall had to occur in order that his eyes might be open to really see and believe it, or Satan must have hidden every consolation from Spalatin's sight. Practically, Luther says to Spalatin, if you'd fully realize the corruption of your own heart and its relation to God, you would not be so inconsolable. For you would say to yourself, alas, the fountain is so polluted. That's why the filth flowed
0: from it. So back to Luther. Now, this is a very important point. Luther seems to say your problem is either, number one, Satan has removed all the consolation that you know, all the beautiful words of the gospel Satan has taken from you, or you didn't really realize how bad you were. Like you you knew you were committing these little small sins, but they really weren't bothering you too much. You were convinced that you were a pretty good person. But now that it's a greater sin, now you don't know what to do. Now you're just absolutely like dumbfounded. And I think a lot of times that's what happens in the Christian world. We, we, as long, there's like a whole list of sins that we can commit and we feel pretty okay with it. We're not too broken over it. We're not too humble and we still convince ourselves that we're pretty good, that we're pretty righteous, that we can pass any test. But it's when all of a sudden, all of a sudden we commit the big one, the, 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 the real sin really shows up. Then all of a sudden, then we don't know what to do. We're in despair. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What you should have realized is you are always polluted. You, you should have realized how sinful you were all the time that you've never loved God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. You've never truly loved your neighbor as yourself. You've never been holy as God is holy, even though you're called to do that. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, be ye perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You've never been perfect like your heavenly father. You have, you've, have, you, 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 that sin has always been there. You just found a way to convince yourself that you were pretty good. And then once it a big sin, some scandalous thing happens, then you're devil, de- devastated and you can't be Consoled but you can't be consoled because you did not real you should have already realized how sinful you were. And if you realized how sinful you already were, you'd have been looking for consolation in the gospel every single day. Every single day you should realize, Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I have unclean hands, unclean lips, and an unclean mind, and an unclean heart. Lord, I'm guilty before you. I may not have committed the action, oh, but Lord, I'm guilty. I don't know about you. You should know that. And every day you should find your only hope in the gospel. That doesn't excuse those struggles. But we have to realize, but I don't think we're some, we It's almost like we, we have a Christianity. I hate to say this we have a christianity in the minds of many people that that seems only able to truly forgive initially right like when you when you just become a christian okay great great christianity is good to fix all of that past sin but christianity in in the minds of many people is truly not capable of really forgiving someone who is a christian Right, If you are a Christian, it's like, well, you're forgiven, but, 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 but now, see, now there's 37 consequences. Now, now, but, 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 but it's like, you can't truly be set free ever again. And, And I think we cheapen then the gospel that way. But so we then have to convince ourselves that we're better than we actually are. That's the problem with the church. We always have to pretend to be something that we're not instead of being able to go, no, we're still sinners. And we still fall short continually. And then having a gospel that can actually deal with that reality. I think it's interesting Luther acknowledging this, the two possible problems that this gentleman is facing, either Satan has just completely stolen from him the actual consolation that comes from the gospel, or this man had not really realized how sinful he had been until now he's committed a big one, a scandalous one. And now He doesn't know what to do. He's broken. Well, the same gospel that forgives the new Christian forgives the older saint. And it's just as complete. It's just as perfect. And it washes away all your sin. Doesn't excuse the sin. But there has to be forgiveness and hope and restoration. Or what's the point of the gospel in the first place?
1: Therefore, my faithful request and admonition is that you join our company and associate with us who are real, great, and hard-boiled sinners. You must by no means make Christ to seem paltry and trifling to us as though he could be our helper only when we want to get rid of imaginary, nominal, sad, childish sins. No, 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 that would be no good for us. He must rather be a savior and redeemer from real, great, grievous, and damnable transgressions and iniquities, yea, from the very greatest and most shocking sins, to be brief, from all sins added together in a grand total. So he argues that by making our sins small, we make Christ small, and we ought never to do that. He goes on. Dr. Staupitz comforted me in a certain occasion when I was a patient in the same hospital and suffering the same affliction as you by addressing me thus, ah, you want to be a painted sinner and accordingly expect to have in Christ a painted Savior. You will have to get used to the belief that Christ is a real Savior and you a real sinner. For God is neither jesting nor dealing in imaginary affairs, but he has greatly and most assuredly in earnest when he sent his son into the world and sacrificed him for our sakes. These and similar reflections drawn from consolatory biblical passages have been snatched from your memory by the accursed Satan, and hence you cannot recall them in your present anguish and despondency. For God's sake then, turn your ears hither, brother, and hear me cheerfully singing, me, your brother, who at this time is not afflicted with the despondency and melancholy that is oppressing you, and therefore is strong in faith, so that you, who are weak and harried and hassled by the devil, can lean on him for support until you have regained your old strength and can bid defiance to the devil and cheerfully sing, Thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall, but the Lord help me. Imagine now that I'm Peter, holding out my hand to you and saying to you, In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. For I know I'm not mistaken, nor is the devil talking through me. But since I am laying the word of Christ before you, it is Christ who speaks to you through me and bids you obey and trust your brother, who is of the same household of faith. It is Christ that absolves you from this and all your sins. And I am a partaker of your sin by helping you to bear up under it. He goes on, See that you accept and appropriate it to yourself, this comfort I am offering you. For it is true, certain, and reliable, since the Lord has commanded me to communicate it to you and bidden you to accept it from me. For if even I am cut to the quick by seeing you in such awful distress because of your deep melancholy, it gives God a far greater displeasure to behold it. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of evil. Therefore do not turn away from him who is coming to comfort you and announce the will of God to you, and who hates and abominates your despondency and melancholy as a plague of Satan. Do not by any means permit the devil to portray Christ to you differently from what he is in truth. Believe the scripture which testifies that he was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Your melancholy is a work of the devil, which Christ wants to destroy if only you will let him. You have had your full of anguish. You have sorrowed enough. You have exceeded your penance. Therefore, do not refuse my consolation. Let me help you.
0: What a powerful letter. And I will say this. I don't think a lot of Christians who fall into what, quote unquote, is categorized as a big sin or a scandalous sin. I don't think a lot of Christians have a friend like Luther. Luther is writing this man going, yes, you've sinned, but let's stop. Let's stop worrying about the sin. Let's worry about your despondency. Let's worry about your let's let's get you to understand The absolution of of your sin found in Christ Jesus. He wants him to know that he's forgiven. He wants to know that his sin has been removed. He, he's bringing him nothing but gospel. I think a lot of Christians, when, when, when they fall into really bad sin or grievous sin or scandal or humiliating sin, you know what a lot of times happens? People come running to get the information. Ooh, what happened? Tell me the information. Ooh, I can't wait. All right, click, boom. So they can go tell everyone else. Did you hear what so-and-so did? But very few call to say, hey, Look to the cross. Look to the blood of Christ. There is hope. There is forgiveness. There is restoration. You can be restored. You you get a lot of abandonment and silence. And you look around and you're like, where did everyone go? Now what what we are afraid to do that cuz like but but but, but I, I don't want them to think that their sin was okay and we we feel like that we've got to you know Qualify it and quantify. We, we've got to put some kind of hedge around it. No, you bring the medicine of the gospel to the broken sinner, and you don't need to offer any words of condemnation or anything. You just say, "Here you go, rebuke." You don't need to do anything if they're not broken in their sin, if they're not humbled, if they're not if they're not acknowledging their sin. Well, then, yeah, then you have to bring the law. Luther is is approaching someone who has committed a sin. And Luther said, "Hey, I, I, I've been in the same hospital as you. I've been just as broken and guilty as you." He acknowledges his own sin instead of coming at him from a, a level of moral superiority. He comes at him, "I also have been a broken sinner, and I'm bringing to you the consolation of the gospel." It, it, it it's. It's sad how this, this, this letter Luther has written serves as a great reminder of how we should be to those who find themselves in sin. Just absolutely beautiful there.
1: And he has much more to say before we can finish this letter. He's coming close to the end, though.
0: Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. It's part eight of our series on the
1: proper distinction between law and gospel. I'm Todd Wilkin. When we come back about 10 more minutes with Pastor Whedon, then we will get into the proper surrounding the parable of the sower with Pastor Sean Denzer as we look forward to Sunday morning according to the three.
0: And There you have it. That, hey, maybe in the next segment, they're gonna, I don't think they're going to really uh, read the whole thing. So what we'll try to do is get this letter from Luther. I'll try to get it posted at TheologyCentral.net, TheologyCentral.net, so that you can just read it and... Met. Look, if you don't get anything else from this entire series on the proper distinction of law and gospel, 100 plus hours of teaching and discussion at least whenever we, I can get this ready to go and I'll get it posted at theologycentral.net as soon as possible. I'll try to do, get it done here within the next 30 minutes. Um, at least just sit there and read the letter and just ask yourself for, I, again, I'm really going to drive these, these points home, right? First of all, when it comes to yourself, do you give yourself the law when you really need law, and do you truly give yourself the gospel when you need gospel? i think we' we're, we're really look sometimes i'll be i'll be i could be driving to church or when I used to drive out to the church to do the podcasting. I would just sit there and remember every failure every sin that I've committed and just feel that guilt. So I'm, I'm constantly haunted by every failure and every sin that I have committed or is committing will commit. I I'm, I'm just, I'm constantly haunted by it. And it's, and, and I have a hard time sometimes accepting the gospel, accepting the gospel. Then there are other times well, I think I've, I, maybe I, I need, I actually need the law to slap me in the face going, what are you doing? What are you doing? This is wrong. I, and, and it's trying to find that balance. When do I need law? When do I need gospel? But, but you can be, you can allow yourself to just live in total despair and shame and humiliation because of the sins you committed. But sometimes you got to cling to the gospel. Now, as soon as you try to cling to the gospel, it'll be other Christians going, yeah, yeah. But don't you remember what you did? here's your scarlet letter. Don't you remember? And and they won't, they won't, they don't, they will keep their foot on your neck and push your face into the mud. In some cases, sometimes you got to stop worrying what Christians think and go, at least I know my savior has forgiven me. And that in Christ Jesus, my sins have been removed as far as the East is from the West and find the peace peace found in that. And then at the same time, we have to ask ourselves, how good are we at doing this with other people? Are we good at this? And when people fall into public and horrible sin, shameful sin, are you one to go run to them, wrap your arms around them going, yes, my brother, yes, my sister has sinned, but I'm here. I'm here to stand next to them and I'm going to cover their sin with, with my, with love because their sin has been covered by the blood of Christ. And I'm not going to humiliate them. I'm not going to gossip about them. I'm not going to slander them. I'm going to do everything in my power to walk with them through this dark time. And you know what? We're going to come out of this and they're going to be restored and they're going to be back to a place of usefulness. And I'm going to be right there with them. But we don't have a tendency to do that. We're kind of like, Ooh. Okay, I'm going to go walk over here and get far, far away from them. The proper distinction between law and gospel is is a worthless philological concept if it doesn't ever translate to a practical, everyday use. And here's where he's trying to get to. So I'm going to get this letter that Luther wrote. I'm going to try to uh, copy and paste it. It'll be at theologycentral.net under the blog section, and I'll try to get that there, I'm hoping, within the next uh, 30 minutes. It's beautiful. It's powerful. It's much for you to think about and meditate on. It's probably a letter you've never even read. You're Probably a letter you didn't even know existed in church history. And it's probably in some ways it goes against the kind of Luther. We, we know Luther fighting and standing against the Catholic Church and against the Anabaptists and some of the crazy extreme things he said. But here's Luther showing a, a mercy and a compassion for a sinner who's broken because Luther knows what that felt like. He lived his life under the condemnation of the law. Maybe we can learn something. Maybe if we don't get anything else from this 100 plus hours of study, we can gain a little insight in this letter, how we should approach ourselves and how we should approach others. All right. Thanks for listening. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Check theologycentral.net. It's uh, probably give me about 30 minutes. It'll be in the blog section. And uh, remember, Google podcasting app goes away 2024. So if you're listening to us on the Google podcast app, please find a new podcasting app, please. We are on every other podcasting app on earth. Uh, And uh, if you need any help finding where to get our content, email us, newsif at yahoo.com. Google Podcasts will be moving their content to YouTube Music. We're hoping they'll take the Google Podcasting directory and just pull it over to YouTube Music, and then we'll be set. We'll be there. If not, we're going to figure out how to make that all work. And we're always looking for any other platform that we can possibly place our content. Um, But yeah, there you go. That's the latest. So there you go thanks for listening. So much more I would like to say, but I'm just going to stop right there and hopefully let let Luther's letter do the speaking. So check it out, theologycentral.net. Hopefully I'll have it there in about the next 30 minutes. Thanks for listening. God bless.